Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young. I'm so glad that you are here. Man, it's Monday. <laughs> Don't you just love Mondays? You know, we have a, a tradition here in New Orleans. Mondays were, you know, if you look back in history, traditionally Mondays were, were wash days. Mondays were the days that you're kind of, um, I don't know, maybe recuperating from the weekend. Uh, you had a lot of chores to do, a lot of things to get to get done. And so the, a, lot of the, a lot of times the women who, you know, traditionally speaking, that's what was happening. The women were uh, at home cooking and taking care of kids. And, and what do they do? They would, uh, in order to get the chores done, they didn't want to spend a whole lot of time in the kitchen cooking. So they would put a pot of beans on. And that pot of beans could cook all day, and then and once they get real softened uh, in the afternoon, they could chop up some onions, some bell peppers, some celery. Uh, if you had some meat, maybe some salted pork or some sausage or something that you could use for flavoring, they would toss that into the pot. And so by the time the men come in from uh, from a from a long day's work, uh, dinner is ready, and it didn't take a whole lot of effort. It cooks slowly all day, and that is what we have today. Today, Monday, traditionally in New Orleans, is Red Beans and Rice Day, and you can go to restaurants all over the city, and uh, it doesn't matter how fancy they are, they're probably going to have red beans and rice on the menu. Very interesting uh, story, a little history there. Uh, Louis Armstrong, uh, who was the famous uh, jazz musician, used to uh, love red beans and rice. It was one of his favorite meals, and when he would sign autographs or, or write letters, he would write, he would close it out. Instead of saying sincerely, he would say, red beans and ricely yours, <laughs> which is kind of neat. I like that. That's tradition when it comes to food, tradition and family meals uh, is a good thing, a very good thing. Kind of Catholic, too. You know, we like tradition. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young. So glad to be here. And today we have a special guest joining us on this Monday. We have Lisa Schmidt, who is, believe it or not, a practicing Catholic. And not only is she a practicing Catholic, but she's a blogger who blogs over at thepracticingcatholic.com. So, Lisa, welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. You know, we talked, I guess it was about, a, how long ago was that? Maybe about a year ago? or uh, Yeah, it was six last year ago. during Lent. It, that's yeah, right. it was last year during Lent, yeah. Yeah, we talked uh, with the radio show that I do in New Orleans, and, and you came on, we talked soup, and of course, food, faith, and, and family. So, first of all, the, the practicing Catholic, tell us about that. Right. Okay. So probably about, gosh, five years ago now, my husband and I both went through retreats um, at the parish that we were at at the time. And they're called Christ Renews His Parish. Many of your listeners probably are familiar with it as it's something that's uh, found in parishes across the United States. But at the end of the retreat, and it's a several month process, at the end of the retreat, we took um, a a time period to discern what God was calling us to. And we felt as a couple, because Joel went through with the, with a men's group and I went through with the, with the women's group at the same time, we both felt that we were being called to the new evangelization. We both had this love for Catholic media, for social media. Joel has a lot of skills in um, computer programming and, and the back end of things. So we just felt like we could share our gifts in that way. And we really felt called to evangelize to the people in our backyard. And we live here in Des Moines, Des Moines, Iowa. And our journey has kind of been crazy because now my husband is ordained 
the permanent deacon for the Diocese of Des Moines. And so we do our ministry, his his diaconate ministry and by nature because he's married and um, I help him with his diaconate ministry. Part of his ministry is is the online evangelization, particularly to you know, like I said, our backyard, like mission territory, we we view is is our backyard. But um, because of the the World Wide Web, it's it's everywhere, right? But we do our first focus is primarily to the folks here in the Des Moines, Iowa area. Wow. So when you talk about, I mean, I, you know, the new evangelization, we talk about new media and all that. If you had to to try to explain to someone in just a couple of sentences what the new evangelization is all about, what would what would you say? You know, um, a few years ago, we were in Greece standing on the spot that St. Paul stood and shared the gospel and the good news with the people of that time. And for me, the new evangelization is doing just what St. Paul did back then, only we're using the mediums available to us, which is you know, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> blogs, radio, you know, real, you know, real Catholic radio, real life radio through, um, through what you're doing here. So we just use the mediums available to us to share the good news and to share Jesus Christ with others. And that's really what it's all about. You know, and I, I, I think that uh, we hear that term evangelization and it sounds like, well, it's a big word, you know, and, yes. and you've got to have degrees and you've got to, you know, you have to have those letters behind your name and all to be able to evangelize. <laughs> And I think for a long time in the church, there was, you know, that, that's kind of what, what happened. You know, you had, I mean, the priest did everything and the, and the religious did everything. And, but we live in a different world today. And, and the church reminds us back at Vatican II that we're all called, first of all, to holiness. You know, you don't, you don't have to have a collar. You don't have to wear a habit to be holy. You've, we're all called to, to holiness, first of all. And secondly, mm-hmm. um, that we all have a duty by, our, by virtue of our baptism, that we're all called to, to spread, uh, spread the good news, to share the good news. And uh, it's not really complicated. You know, that's, that's the, the, the amazing thing. I think, you know, I've talked to people over the, over the years, and I've worked for the church, in the church, for, for years uh, as, a, as a catechist, as a DRE, Director of Religious Education, and teaching at high schools and whatever. And I think a lot of times we make it so complicated that it really isn't, you know? I mean, as a matter of fact, you could, it's, it's as simple as this, you know, hey, did you see that new Avengers movie? <laughs> it wasn't so awesome, and let me tell you about it. You know, it's... Whatever is exciting to us, whatever we like. Hey, have you eaten at that new restaurant the other? You know, I went there the other day, and man, you would love it. It's it's kind of like that. It's sharing something that means so much to us, which is our faith, and that's a, a, a beautiful thing. So that's what you're doing at the practicing Catholic, huh? Right. Yeah, and that's we came up with that term because you know when we went through our our retreats, we just felt like so many of our friends and fellow parishioners would continually come up to my husband, Joel, and myself and just ask us questions, fundamental questions that, um, you know, that, that they had about church teachings. And these people weren't bad Catholics, quote unquote. They just weren't informed. They didn't know. And so we really felt like, let's just use the, um, our blog and our little social media platform that we have and just share the truths of the Catholic Church um, in a joyful, intentional way to help these people who want to become, you know, these better practicing Catholics day in and day out, um, to give them a safe place just to learn more about their faith. Um, but it's kind of, our blog has kind of gone from, you know, kind of more of a apologetic place to more of now it's just 
kind of me just sharing our daily faith. And it's, and I'm not an apologist by nature. My, I think I enjoy just sharing the faith, like you were talking about how we live it out day in and day out. But for me, that's what it means to be a practicing Catholic, just to share, share the truth of the faith joyfully, intentionally day in and day out, not just on Sundays. Which is, uh, you know, it reminds me, you're saying that it reminds me of, uh, Pope Paul VI, I believe, who talked about that the church doesn't need today teachers as much as it needs witnesses. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's, that, it's getting that, uh, that personal sort of peek in the window uh, of, of someone's life that really makes an impact, I think, for folks. I know it does for me. Um, I love learning about saints um, and, and, and not, not like saints that – sometimes you can read books that will put a saint on a pedestal, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I learned about St. Pierre Giorgio Frassati as an example, I mean, the dude smoked cigars and played pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. and, and I love that. <laughs> it, yeah. makes, it makes holiness so relatable, you know? Right. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Dorothy Day for me. You know, she um, wasn't a St. Therese of Lisieux by any means. And for a long time, I really like, oh, St. Therese, I just got, I cannot handle her right now, especially yes. um, <laughs> in my 20s and stuff when I was really struggling with the faith. But, you know, I, social justice is near and dear to my heart. And um, my undergrad is in family services. So, you know, something like Dorothy Day, who has had quite a past in a story, um, I agree, has, has resonates more with me than, um, yeah, <laughs> than, uh, than Therese was too. But, there, but she's better now. We're on better terms now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're okay with her now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, we've recon- I reconciled with her, I guess, and um, have come to understand the beauty of her teachings are, are equally valid for me as well. And I think that's what, I mean, at least from, for me, that's what happens when I read the stories of the saints. I mean, if you're reading books that were written a long, long time ago, uh, you're getting their perspective, their worldview, their vocabulary. And, and sometimes that could be just awkward, you know, and, and, and kind of unrelatable. And I, I remember reading when I was in a seminary, I read, not only did I read uh, Story of a Soul by St. Therese, but I read a lot of books about St. Therese. And, and St. Therese has really played a big part in my life and in the life of my family. My, my oldest daughter, um, who is actually the, my second child, uh, Annabelle Therese is her name. And we, we named her Therese after, after St. Therese. So she's really has a presence uh, in, in our family life. And it's neat because I, I still have a hard time going back and reading her stuff, you know, because to me it seems kind of flowery, you know, right. it's very, very different. <laughs> Uh, but what's really interesting is that my wife and I just started reading St. Therese's uh, parents, their their letters that they wrote back and forth, uh, Zelie and, and Lutz uh, Martin. Right, right. And, and Zelie is a fireball, man. Yeah. My um, sister's child is named after her, Zelie, and she's our goddaughter. So, yeah, I, that's probably a book I should read, too. But, you know, you mentioned that about St. Therese. Um, she came into my life really forcefully about five years ago because my dad died on her feast day, September 30th, or she died. My dad died on the day she died, September 30th. Her feast day is the first. But so I just started like putting these things together. And my dad really lived a simple doing all things for God's glory, doing it for the Lord, little things with great spirit. And so that was really a turning point for me with St. Therese. Yeah, and I and I, you know, we're gonna uh, be taking a break in just a minute. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Saint Therese and about Zelie and Lewis because I think that they have so much to to say to uh, to our faith and how we live our faith today, especially I think 
in the family. And uh, we're going to take a break right here. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Here on Real Life Radio, I'm Jeff Young, your host, and we're talking today with Lisa Schmidt, the PracticingCatholic.com. And uh, Lisa, before the, the the break, we were talking about Saint Therese and the impact that she has had. And uh, I mentioned to you on the break that my wife and I are we're having a baby in about two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah, and it's right around the corner, and uh, we're naming her after Saint Therese's mom. So her name will be Zelie. Zelie Marie, and uh, we we actually started reading the book, uh, the the letters between Zelie and and Lewis, and I'm just amazed at this woman because you know it, it this is real life stuff. I mean she's um, she's kind of bossy, mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> she's <laughs> but but faith filled, and you know she suffered obviously suffered a lot in her life, and she died young. I mean if you you know, remember the story of St. Therese, she lost her mom when she was like, I think four, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, she was young and, and that really made an impact in her life. And, uh, wow, that's, it's, it's, it's neat to kind of get this inside view of St. Therese's parents. And we're only, I don't know, I think maybe just a chapter into the book, like maybe, maybe a few, a few letters in, not, not too far. We try to read it together instead of reading it separately and coming back together. So, but, um, so St. Therese has a lot to offer us, I think, um, for families, obviously. And uh, so what about, what about your family? How do you experience um, family life and, and growing in faith in, in your own family, your own family dynamic? Sure, yeah. Um, before I get to that, I do. You, your conversation reminded me that I'm not sure if it's in that book, but it talks about how um, Zelie had such a hard time with St. Therese because she was quite the handful. Oh, yeah. And I think at one point <laughs> she disciplined her like by tying her wrist to the bedpost or something. <laughs> so it's it makes me realize, okay, you know, mothers have struggled with their energetic children from day one, you know, from the beginning of time. So it it, it is nice to read, um, you know, to have Zelie and Lewis Martin as an example for us married people that holiness is certainly attainable in marriage and that as as man and wife, you know, um, what great witness we can be to couples and just to individuals out there. And as you say, share that daily witness, um, you know, that joyful witness of, of marriage and such. But, um, you know, for us, you know, we kind of have an interesting situation because, you know, my husband is an ordained deacon. And so we are, the church is very visible in our lives. Joel serves on the altar every single Sunday, sometimes Saturday and Sunday. And so church is, is ex, you know, it's extremely first and foremost in our family. And I know it's not like that for everybody. Um, but what we do, you know, just living the daily, um, the daily life here, things that we try to do when Joel was going through his diaconate formation, we were blessed with the opportunity to travel to a Benedictine monastery once a month for four years for his theological training. And that has transformed my life. Um, St. Benedict has been a huge companion for me and continues to be. And so we have tried to adopt um, as possible, some of the monastic flavor into our domestic life. So it's just things like, 
you know, starting little with like night prayer um, from the Liturgy of the Hours, you know, doing every single hour of the Liturgy of the Hours with my family would be very difficult. And for those people who aren't aware of what it is, the Liturgy of the Hours is the church's prayer that um, monks and priests and deacons and religious vow to pray every day. And so there's set times during the day where you stop and pray. And at the monastery, the bell actually rings, the monastic bell rings to let the monks know that they need to go to um, chapel and pray. Um, so it starts early in the morning and goes all the way to night and some in the middle of the night even. Um, but here, that's a little intense um, for me to be stopping and praying with my kids like every two hours, you know, that's just not the reality because I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and an 18-month-old. Um, but we have started with night prayer, and it's amazing how you know how the kids pick up on that psalm. You know how they can recite the psalm after the end of the prayer, and um, it's it's working pretty well here. And that they know that that's how we're going to end our day, and then it's time for them to go to bed. You know, and then little other things too, just. Um, the Angelus right before lunch, um, stopping and marking our day, setting aside five minutes to pray. Um, and I think that's, that's really, um, I don't know. I'm hoping that we're building that just the sense of, of resting and praying and, um, kind of setting apart different parts of your day. I'm hoping that our kids will kind of, um, grab onto that. Cause I know it's been a struggle for me, 39 years old, and I'm just now learning to do that. Um, but I'm seeing the benefits of it is so great. Yeah, that the I love the liturgy of the hours, um, and and it's funny. Cause I, mean, I spent four years in the seminary, um, two years in Mexico with Mother Teresa's priests in formation with them, wow. and then two years studying for the diocese of Baton Rouge. And uh, I, I I spent, I mean, we we did we prayed the liturgy of the hours four times a day, and and it was a, a beautiful thing. You know, morning, noon, evening, and night prayer together and you got to the point it was just that that life daily life flowed according to the liturgy of the hours and that that's really what kind of happened what ended up happening and so you know you have this four week cycle of of psalms that just keeps you know rotating just cycling over and and, and eventually you start to memorize these things you're not trying to they just they, it's like uh, osmosis, you know. It just soaks into the roots of your your brain and your your mind and your heart. And and I remember, and still today, uh, sometimes just a just a word or or a, a, not even a, a full phrase, maybe two or three words linked together uh, in succession will make my my mind flash back to a psalm. And it could mm-hmm. be in the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, I'm reciting a psalm. I didn't even try. It's just it's just there. And, but I tell you what was a, what was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience, and I, and I, I really wanted to try to carry that over into my life after I got married. And it was fairly simple to do. And then we had children. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, nothing was simple to do. You know, I mean, it's because because you're you're growing in love. You're growing in love. You're you're having to expand. You have to move beyond what you want to do to actually love somebody else unconditionally. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's a challenge for us. And so a lot of times we're about to experience that again where the baby dictate, dictates the schedule. We don't tell the baby, okay, you're going to eat here and there and that's it. You know, we have to be um, um, pliable. We have to be able to, to roll with the punches, so to speak. And so that has been very challenging, although we've tried from time to time to bring the Liturgy of the Hours back into family life. 
it's been challenging. I like your idea. I like that of, of maybe just doing night prayer together or evening prayer together. Just that one thing that may be doable. I like that. Yeah, thanks. And um, I know my husband and I, we do talks, um, get presentations, you know, to couples and to family groups and such. And one of the things that we like to emphasize in one of our talks is that, you know, by nature, we as man and woman or as, you know, husband and wife, we're selfish. So you, you, we stick each other in the same house and there are going to be struggles. <laughs> and that's OK, because by our very nature, we're, you know, we're sinful, we're selfish, we're we're inward, you know, like that, that's kind of the, the, the gut reaction for most of us. Well, then you add children in the mix and they're just little miniature versions of the, our selfish, you know, sinful selves. And so <laughs> we when we give our talks, we really underscore like this stuff is hard and we never want to come off as like we've got this all figured out because. Oh, goodness gracious, don't we do not, you know, and um, we just want to remind people that it is hard. It is challenging. But the rewards, you know, we, we do see it we, just that that small little five minute, eight minute night prayer um, that we use using the liturgy of the hours, you know, the church's form. We don't even have to, you know, because for some of us, just extemporaneous pray, prayer, that's tough, you know, and so the church gives us a model and a framework to start from. Um, and it's, it's been really helpful and has blessed our family. And that's one of the things I know for me personally, and I, and, and our, my family's like this, you know, I mean, we're very involved in the church. Uh, we homeschool and the church is literally like, I don't know, four or five blocks away from the house. You know, we're, we're very involved. And, uh, and so that's, a, it's, and we, and we have been, that's a, a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. At the same time, you know, it's, it's so important to have that personal prayer time during the day. And uh, and we can incorporate that, you know, if you have family prayer, as long as it's almost like you have to make a concerted effort to really make the connection with God, if that makes sense. You know, it's, right. it's, sometimes it's easy for it to become rote. It's, it's easy for it to become routine. But I notice, like if we pray the rosary together, as long as I personally stop and, and just and try to make that connection with God then praying that rosary together with the family is just like personal prayer, you know? And I've noticed mm-hmm. in my own life that I have to have some, some kind of personal prayer every day. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be a long time, but some kind, because my gas tank without prayer only goes about two weeks. And after that, it's chaos. Yeah. And I would agree. I'm a homeschooling mom too. And so, you know, you add um, kind of the responsibilities of being a deacon's wife where my husband is, gone on the weekends for his diaconate requirements. I shouldn't say gone. He's just certain time periods on Saturday and Sundays are dedicated to the church. Um, But when I'm with my kids, you know, Monday through Friday, homeschooling them without a break, (laughs) you know, I mean, they're, they're under my feet all the time. And I, you know, and it can get, it can get very challenging. And so I've also too had to just step back and remind myself like little things like mother's Sabbaths, just little little opportunities to get away for restoration and respite and spiritual renewal. Um, If it's, you know, an hour of adoration, if it's four hours on a Saturday morning of, you know, spiritual counsel and direction and reconciliation, but you have to make, have to make opportunities um, for that spiritual renewal and, and set aside time for prayer. Like it's one thing to make your day a whole day of prayer, Mm -hmm. but it's also something very different to set aside five minutes to do nothing but listen to God. That's right. And that, see, that's the tricky thing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I could say, oh, I'm praying and I'm praying all day long, you know, and it's true, I am. But then what happens? 
you start to, at least I do, I start to to lose those those times that really are dedicated to quiet time with God. And then two weeks go by and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> right. <laughs> My gas tank is empty. But that's a, Yeah. We, uh, and God takes that fishing pole and reels you back in. That's right. He has to. He has to. So that's awesome. Uh, I love the Liturgy of the Hours. I highly recommend that. We're going to have to take a break here, uh, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Today, with Lisa Schmidt, uh, the practicing Catholic, the practicing Catholic.com. Uh, Lisa, we were talking uh, over the break about, I mean, actually, we we're talking before the break about the liturgy of the hours and prayer and, and how important that is. And, and it got me thinking it's like, well, what, what about, um, what about mealtime in Das Schmidt House? How does that work? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. It really is. I don't know what it is, but whenever I sit my kids at the kitchen at their dining table, it's just they scream and they they turn into little monsters. And I don't know if it's because I when I was pregnant with them, food was so important for me. You know, like I was I was what they call it hangry, you know, combination between hungry and angry. I was hangry perpetually during my pregnancies, um, which is why I gained so much so many pounds. But anyway, um, it's it's tough right now. You know, I have um, our our firstborn who's almost seven. She's finally kind of getting to the point where I can really talk to her about healthy eating, about, you know, protein and carbs and making sure it's a balanced meal. And, but my younger two, three-year-old and 18 month old, they just, they'd be fine with mac and cheese from a box every single day, you know, and I don't, I know it's important to start really good habits um, from the beginning, but sometimes it's also just to keep peace. (laughs) Okay. We're, we're going to do, you know, we're going to try like maybe, the 50-50 approach, like maybe 50% like whole, good, real food, you know, and then other times we'll say, okay, we'll just take a break, mac and cheese in a box. I'm going to go with it to get me through this moment here. But <laughs> it's, um, and also it's fun. We're I'm getting to the point where, you know, our seven-year-old or near seven-year-old can join me and help me in the preparation. Um, it, like she can do it with real confidence. Like I don't need to stand over her and watch her every move that she does maybe like I had to a couple years ago, but she's, she's becoming a real good help. And again, going back to this whole homeschool conversation, it it helps that she's here, you know? And so we just incorporate those things into our day and um, turn, you know, cooking moments in the kitchen into teachable moments for her, like with her math and stuff. But it's, it's, um, it's good. We um, we certainly, (laughs) um, you know, again, mealtime is one of those things that's kind of set apart. We talk about the liturgy of the hours that each of those hours kind of sets apart your day. Well, for us, meal times are are those times as well. And if liturgy of the hours seems like too much or too high a goal for some families, start with your meal times and start with prayer there. Because um, many of us are together, you know, 
I'd say maybe at least breakfast and dinner, I would hope, or maybe at least one meal a day. Maybe you're together just at dinner. We use that as your opportunity to pray um, before meal, after meal. Make that your evening prayer rather than, um, you know, using the liturgy of the hours or something like that. But certainly meal times can be marked with that, that we stop, we pray, and we eat. That's right. That's one of the things that uh, I mean. We 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 have committed to to that. You know, we we're kind of unusual in the sense that because we homeschool, because I'm self-employed. I mean, a lot of times I'm I'm cooking dinner. You know, my wife is an excellent cook. I have learned so much from her over the years. But a lot of times it's worked out that that I cook dinner, and uh, and that's and that's fine. I, I mean, I love to cook. I can't help that. That's a that's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But we we always we we we're able we have more opportunities than most I think to be at the table together, and so we do. We always start with prayer, and I think it's important because it helps us to realize that you know God is the one who provides. I mean, sure, it may look like I have checks coming in the house <laughs> that go into the bank. You know, it may look as if I'm out there making all this money. But it really is God who does all of it, and uh, I'm just the, the the instrument in this particular circumstance that he's using to do that. And so it, it helps us in our American culture to really stop and realize where all the good gifts come from and to give thanks to God for that. And also to, to ask for the things that we need, to ask him to bless us, to bless our family. We have a tradition that we started. This was going back when I went to Steubenville for, uh, for two years. I didn't, didn't finish. I ended up going back into the seminary, but I was at Steubenville for two years. I have a wonderful friend, Alan Tamboro, who um, his family came to visit us when my kids were really tiny uh, very young, probably in their you know toddlers, I think. And uh, when they came to visit, he and his family came to visit us. We we had a meal together, and and he led the prayer, and actually his family led the prayer. And I was so impressed by it because they would do the traditional bless meal, bless us, O Lord, and these I gifts. But then after that, they would go through this kind of litany of bless these different people. And it really struck us, and so we started doing the same thing. We've been doing that for I don't know most of, I guess most of my kids' lives. And so every every meal together, we're praying for certain people by name, and that's a that's a blessing. One thing we have strive we strive to do from time to time, at least, is uh, to do the after meals prayer of Thanksgiving. And uh, yes. sometimes that's more more uh, difficult than others. Just depends on schedules and how tired everybody is at night and that kind of thing. But it's something that we strive to do. We don't always live up to it, but it's it's a good habit to have. Just to remind ourselves, God's been part of this meal. We want to give Him thanks, and and it moves us on to a different part of the day or night. So that's that's pre- that's a good re- yeah. And do you have? Sorry, that's a good. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's a good reminder. Yeah, for us because we would like to do that too, and it seems like five minutes in, our three-year-old is like, "I'm done. I want to be done." But you know, maybe something that we could do is add that after-meal prayer, and that's their cue. Okay, you may be excused from the table now, and right. you're not going to be excused until we until we say this this thanks of this blessing um, for this meal that we just ate. So that's a great idea. Right, and that's what I mean. That's something you. I mean, I didn't. I wouldn't think of it that in that way. But it's true that for us, I mean, the meals aren't just the food. I mean, I, I do. I, I'm I'm a pretty good cook. Not not, not too shabby, you know. My wife is an excellent cook. I'm 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 all right. I make it. I make it okay. Um, we love good food, and but the thing, the part about the meal, the meal is not about the food. I mean, it is, but not only about the food. Right, the meal is about the shared experience. It's about sharing our, our, our lives, our love, our time, our faith together. And so 
just because my 15 year old son is finished because he's a fast eater and he finishes, you know, 10 minutes before everybody else, he doesn't just get up. You know, he's got to stay there because he's engaged with mm-hmm. us. That's the whole point. He's with us, you know. So that's a good point. You could use that uh, after meal prayer as the cue. Then, all right, once the meal is officially over, then you can be excused to go do what, yeah. you know, needs to be done. Like maybe go ahead and do the dishes. <laughs> right. <laughs> go get dad a beer. That is cool. That is cool. Yep. Yeah, Mealtime is good. And you had mentioned earlier on about trying to make some healthy decisions and trying to talk to your daughter about that. Um, during the break, you mentioned something about a new CSA that is uh, in your area. What's that all? Right. Well, CSA stand for Community Supported Agriculture. And um, people may have heard of them, but basically what they are is it's um, usually a small farm. And in my case, it's a family farm, um, a homeschooling family who lives on an acreage and um, has chosen to live this lifestyle where they grow crops on their on their land and then they sell them. Um, They call them shares to people like myself, my family, who has bought into the share. And as a member of the CSA, um, I help this family um, purchase um, the, the farm's ability to plant the produce that they are going to, to grow the crops that they are going to give to me. And you take, um, you take part in um, the risk of growing those crops. So if it's bountiful harvest, then my family gets to share in that abundance. But if it's you know, if there's pests a particular year or if the weather negatively affects the yield, then I'll also share in the lack of the bounty. But if I stick with the, the CSA, you know, hopefully the next year will be better. So I support that farm um, perpetually year in and year out. And starting about two weeks, um, my family is going to receive a half bushel full of fresh local produce once a week until October. And so um, the person, the family that owns the CSA will give me an email probably two days before I go and pick up um, the bushel, the half bushel, and they'll let us know what's going to be in that that bushel for that week. Some of the vegetables I have maybe never cooked with, (laughs) and some of them, you know, will be things like tomatoes or cucumbers or string beans or, you know, things that, that I'm very used to cooking. But the the beauty of it all is that, so I have this, this access to delicious, affordable, fresh, biologically diverse produce, and then it's not grown with any pesticides or fertilizers. So, and it's also, you know, the farm is 30 minutes away from my house. And so it's easier for them to grow maybe some unique produce that you're not able to pick up in the grocery store because it would take you know, two weeks for it from picking time in whichever field it's planted across the world to get to my grocery store in Des Moines, Iowa. So I'm really excited. I'm a little anxious because I have, like I said, I have no idea what to expect. Like, will I, will I need to be chopping and freezing? Will we eat it all? Will it be too much? Will I not like it? But I think it'll challenge me to really, um, you know, you talk about being a good cook to really be um, creative with my cooking. And I'm lucky in that my husband's a little like you in the sense that he's a biochemist by by education. And I think scientists really do well in the kitchen because it's all about like a food project, right? It's all a scientific project on how to how to create the best experiment out of these ingredients in front of you. And so I have a husband who's very good at putting this and that together 
And so I think I'm going to lean on him a lot to, to help us <laughs> through these first few weeks when we get these vegetables that we have no idea how to cook with. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. You know, and I think being part of a CSA like that where you're invested, I love how, how you described it because in a lot of ways, what does it do? It shows you how little control we have over things, right? That God really is in control. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about farming and, and agriculture that we – Unfortunately, today, a lot of folks just don't have a, um, any sort of experience with that, you know, um, mm-hmm. but, but that's exactly how it, how it works. So you got to pray, Lord, we need rain for the crops or we need, you know, uh, people to help to, to, to harvest or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, that's fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe you can have me back on and I can talk about it in a few months, how it's going. <laughs> Yeah, and all the things that you're going to be cooking, that, that, that's exciting because it's, it's going to be some, something I'm sure that you'll be a little surprised by. But you, maybe you get to expand your repertoire of recipes. I'm hoping so. <laughs> you know, that's one of the neat things. There's a, a couple of rest- and we are going to take a break, actually. This is uh, the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Catholic Foodie Show here on Real Life Radio. I'm Jeff Young, your host. I'm here today with Lisa Schmidt, the Practicing Catholic, thepracticingcatholic.com. Over the break, Lisa, we were talking about, well, a few different things. You were telling me this neat story about um, something you do with your daughter, uh, the the American Girls series, which my girls loved as well. Um, Tell me what you do. Yeah. Well, one of of my most favorite things to do, um, because I feel like I feel like um, maybe when my kids hit older ages, I'll be a better mother because <laughs> this young <laughs> motherhood of young kids is just like I'm thinking it's not my phase. At least I'm hoping like I mature into a, a different phase of motherhood more easily. But um, one of my the things that I probably do the best with my kids is read aloud to them. And so we're always looking for really good chapter books that we can sit down and read as a as a family or that I can, you know, after we get our schoolwork done in the morning, I can just take 30 minutes out and read a chapter of of that book that we're reading at that particular time. And right now we're getting through the American girls historical collection and we're reading Josefina, which is based on a girl who lives in what is now known as New Mexico. And she's from a Mexican family. And they talk about, um, how life was in the mid to late 1800s in New Mexico and what it was like with their faith. And it's Josefina was Catholic. And so it talks a lot about um, living, you know, the, the feast days and how they celebrated Epiphany and how they celebrated Christmas and Las Posadas and just, you know, the nine days before Christmas. So it's really nice also because it adds that faith into the story very naturally. But then it also talks about the foods that they ate and how they prepared them. And so they talk a lot about a cookie called bizcochito, which is a, basically a Mexican cookie that's a, it's a sugar cookie, but it just is um, uh, made with more um, almond mm. than and vanilla. So what we try to do is um, what I'm trying to do with her is take those little tidbits of, of interest that we find in the books that we read and then find ways to extend the lesson into the kitchen. And so my daughter, my oldest, happens to love to bake. She's loved it ever since she was a, a little wee two-year-old, I think. <laughs> and so um, for her, that's just a very teachable moment then to extend that out and say, well, 
you know, Mexicans, this is how they, they cook and these are ingredients that they use. And wouldn't it be great to, to put them into our diet too and to add them into a few meals that we're planning and, and things like that. But, and then of course, when it's a sugar cookie, it's extra sweet because, you know, it's extra sweet and it's a, it's a treat for them. So <laughs> That is awesome. That, that's uh that sounds like so much fun. And I love bringing that into the kitchen. That's a, uh, um, that's uh well i mean it's it's experiential learning you know i mean they're they're in there working with their hands and learning how to do that but that is um that is a that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing i i, well, I think that that one of the the joys that i have is watching my my girls in the in the kitchen uh over the the years i mean we've never really taught them anything specifically about i mean maybe a, a certain dish or something they will go through it together or something but they just see us cooking and they and they've been given the the freedom to get into the kitchen and to cook and um and they'll they'll walk in they'll go in they'll they'll find recipes that they want to cook and and go in and 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 do it and and it comes out great and and there's um there's a lot i think just of personal development that happens when you're able to do that you know you get that confidence of man i can do this this is you know it's not rocket science necessarily and and we enjoy it after it's over we all get to eat it that's a that's a really good thing and uh, you know, I've seen some of those pictures you shared on Instagram with the meals your daughters prepare, and you are one lucky papa. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They uh, they did these things uh, Saturday called crack cookies, which uh, I'm gonna have to put a recipe up over at uh, CatholicFoodie.com soon. But basically, it's like chocolate chip cookies with uh, roasted pecans and uh, uh, caramel in them. Wow. So that's uh, that's really. Pretty awesome. I mean, it really, it really is. Yeah, it sounds uh, it, good. The caramel is kind of chewy, and it, so that, I guess if you wanted to, you could actually throw them down on a on a hard counter and crack them if you wanted to. But they don't we don't let them get that cold. We just try to eat them up while they're hot and uh, and soft. But yeah, I mean that is so much fun. And you know, you bring up Instagram, and that that reminds me. I have another question I wanted to ask you because I too feel like I am part of this whole new evangelization thing. You know, I, I like to talk about it in terms of the fact that I evangelize without evangelizing, because evangelization is a big word, and and a lot of it is just really sharing the good news and sharing it in, in a in a in an incarnational way, in a bodily way, meaning. You know, it's it's part of our life. It's part of what we do. It's part of what we experience. It's kind of like giving people a a, a sneak peek into our lives, and and I do that through taking pictures and sharing them on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, uh, over at CatholicFoodie.com. and so that's um, but that's something that I do, and and and, and it's a blog and, and the podcast and the radio and all that Catholic foodie stuff is is work that that I do, uh, and but in your household. You know, you have that you're the practicing Catholic. Your husband's very much involved in this, too. And how with with young children, how do you work balance into all of this? Because I'm terrible at balance. How do you balance oh, yeah. your family life and your obligations and and, and evangel- evangelization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. And I know I've struggled with it as well. Um, and I try to keep a key phrase. And I was really struggling not too long ago about this whole what are we doing with this blog thing? And, and I just felt like, what's my role and what's my purpose? And I was kind of feeling like a, I'm a middle child. So I always struggle with this perpetual feeling of being left out. Right. It's just part of my nature. It's one of my areas of sin. I think that I will, you know, it's a, a, a sin that I will continue confessing until the day I die. But it's just like, I just wasn't like not feeling like any part of real 
like, you know, like the Catholic mommy blog, like I didn't fit in there. I didn't fit in this group. I didn't fit in that group. And I was just really struggling. And my husband, Joel looked at me and he was like, are you doing this for evangelization or for affirmation? And I kind of went, Oh, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Like, yeah, I think right now my mode is I want to be affirmed. I want to be liked. I want to see how many retweets and how many Facebook likes I can get. And that's precisely the problem and why I was struggling with it. So I kind of had to step away from everything for, gosh, it was almost a good year where I didn't really do many blog posts because I wasn't, it wasn't coming from a good place in me. Um, You know, I really felt like I needed to just to go be quiet, be silent for a long time. And also I was finding that when I was in that mode where I needed that affirmation, I was focused on anything but my primary vocation. And so for me, it was real, it was a great lesson at like anything to avoid what God was really calling me to, which was the work here in my home. And I happened to come across an excellent quote from St. Francis of Rome. And I might not have this exactly right, but basically what she said was sometimes a housewife needs to leave God at the altar and find him in her housework. And that was my mantra for several weeks that, you know, these kids, and God put you and gave you this, this husband and these kids. And right now he's calling you to serve them first. And I was also struggling with some real, real resentment feelings. Like, you know, Joel would get to go off and be the deacon and I'd be back in the queue <laughs> with the screaming kids, you know, and like really working through that resentment. Like, well, why does he, you know, he's a convert. Why does he get to, you know, I've been a faithful cradle Catholic. Why does he get all the accolades? Right. And, um, and music is very important in my life. And I've cantered for a very long time and um, I had to put down that for a long time. And so for me, you know, it was just, God was just saying, hold up girl, you know, like find me in your housework, find me the homeschooling, find me sitting with your kids, just find me sitting in the chair, looking out the window at nature while you take five minutes of prayer. You know, that was just like, find me here. Don't find me online. Don't find me on the blog. (laughs) You need to find me first. And so it was a real huge teachable moment for me. And I have since found that you know, since I've put that kind of first and foremost, everything else has kind of fallen into place. I've been able to get back on cantering. Um, we've been able to work out a way with our family so that Joel is actually in the pew with our family during one of the masses at our parish. Um, I've been able to find a way to, you know, carve out times that aren't um, taken away from my kids where I can sit and write. And I'm finding that my writing is more purposeful and I'm able to get it done more timely because it is think really I pray about it and it really is from God and I just ask God to bless whatever it is that I'm trying to do um so but I mean it's it's still a balance like I you know I can feel very easily like just last weekend I felt like that oh there you go again you're seeking affirmation pull it back um but that's just kind of how I've been able to approach it and maybe at least try to achieve some balance between, you know, my primary vocation and then um, the online ministry and just even the, the diaconate, being a deacon's wife ministry and what that requires of me as well. That's right. You know, it's, uh, that, that, that really helps me a lot. Thank you. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> because I don't know, the struggle between the affirmation and the evangelization is, is real. You know, I mean, I've, I've experienced that too. And I tell you that, and I mentioned this in the break when we were talking, and I, I was kind of um, trying to be funny, I guess, about it, saying that I, I do struggle with balance. You know, I don't really feel like I'm 
very balanced in the day to day. But if you look at it globally, then then yeah, you can see a balance. And I was trying to be funny, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's maybe globally isn't the right word, but seasonal would be the word. So that maybe for a season, I can be quote unquote on in whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's the you know writing recipes. I mean, I wrote a book and with a six month period of time last year in 2014 it came out in november and that was definitely i mean the writing i did but i had to do all the cooking we're talking 76 i think recipes did all the cooking for that and had to do many of those recipes multiple times to test them to get them right and it was a family effort i mean i had my, my wife was there helping me my kids were helping me i had to do all the photography for the for the recipes for the book and and i tell you after that i was mm, it was hard for me to, to do any cooking, so maybe it's seasonal. But we are out of time today. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us here on the Catholic Foodie Show. Lisa Schmidt, the Practicing Catholic, thepracticingcatholic.com. It has been a pleasure. Equally, thank you for having me. So much fun talking with you. And we'll be back again tomorrow right here the Catholic Foodie Show on Real Life Radio.